everyone is a character. All characters are Tatiana. Conclusion, Tatiana is everyone. You're listening to Tatiana is Everyone, an Orphan Black podcast. I'm your host, Chris. And I'm Stephanie. And in this episode, we are discussing the 10th, the final, the finale, the last, the no more Orphan Black for many, many months episode of the third season of Orphan Black, History Yet to be Written. And on that cheery note. <laughs> so many months, Chris. So how many months? How many months did you say? It's like nine and a half. You can create an entire person in that time period, Chris. An entire person can become alive in that time period. Through cloning? Well, th- th- and other means, yes. <laughs> making a show relevant joke there. <laughs> anyway. But hopefully, and I know I'm not the only person to, to hope this, but hopefully the person who is alive in, in those nine months is Delphine. We should add, spoiler warning, for episode 10... Yes, if you have not seen episode 10, spoilers all over the place. I don't know why you'd be listening to this if you haven't, yeah. but don't. <laughs> so we'll start with, with Sally, who will introduce us to the big question that we are left with after watching this episode. Hey, Chris and Stephanie. So like 20 or 30 years ago, when the TV show Dallas was on, everyone was asking, who shot JR? And it was this really long mystery. And then I forget how they resolved it all because I didn't watch the TV show. But I think for us, the question is going to be who shot Delphine? And I have no idea who it was, except that it seemed like she knew the person. I had questions about Dr. Nealon and whatever the worm was that he had in his mouth. He seemed to imply when he said to Delphine, you will be dead you know, before, you know, 24 hours have gone by or something like that, that he was intimating that she was poisoned, but I think all along, maybe he meant someone was coming to assassinate her. But she definitely seemed to recognize the person, whoever it was that shot her. And um, I think this will be the object of much speculation. It seems like what we're going to for season four is that the Neolutionists are this, I don't know, sect, I guess, that, you know, works behind the scenes to control everything. And that they infiltrate both topside and the military. And you know, self-directed evolution, as we originally heard a lot about in the first couple of seasons, you know, maybe that is their their goal that they're going for. I want to know who the mole in Dyad is. No idea who it could be. One thing, when they were talking about neolutionist moles in places, they said something about like the suburban soccer mom. Does that mean that Allison could be the mole or Donnie or someone that runs in their circles? I don't know. Wow, there's certainly a lot to discuss. Maybe Shay shot Delphine. Probably not, but oh, I want to hear all your theories, too. And thanks for sending in that voicemail, Sally. <sighs> so many questions. I don't know. I don't know. Where do you, where do you want to start, Stephanie? Well, let's start with Tom, because Tom sent in a list of potential suspects, which I thought was, was pretty interesting. And his first idea was, was Scott and saying it would be a really interesting twist and a way to establish that in this universe, you really can't trust anybody. But he points out the big issue would be timing to see how Scott could have gotten from the dinner party back to the garage around the same time or ahead of Delphine. To be fair, and somebody actually, I think it was, was it Allison? Yes. And sent us an email about timing. She did. Because the, the show is often a little unclear about how much time has passed between scenes. So, you know, it, it could be Scott, but I don't think it is. I don't either. He also offered up Shay. Like Sally mentioned, Shay is, is kind of an obvious candidate. We know she was in the military. She was presumably special forces, given her beret. But at the same time, it does seem to be too obvious they might, that they might not go that direction? See, I don't even think it is that obvious. Really? I, I see a lot of people thinking, oh, well, clearly it's Shay. Shay's probably the one who shot her, right? 
I do think she is an obvious possibility because of the, especially the military past that they gave her and the fact that Delphine still had a lot of questions about her background, even, you know, that she hasn't quite answered yet. So I think there's still mystery around Shay. And that's fair, but I don't know, just the, the context of the situation itself, it didn't seem right that it was to me. Does that make sense? I just have a ton of questions about Delphine's reaction to seeing the person who shot her. Because she didn't look that surprised. No. Because she she knew it was coming. Mm-hmm. So, like, that makes sense. But then there's a lot of speculation. Like, well, it seemed like she maybe knew the person. And, yeah. But to me, it, it didn't feel like... Because she'd just gone to Shay earlier in the episode entrusting her with something. Yeah, given how much she distrusted Shay earlier in the season, I had that same reaction too, that it seemed unlikely to me that she would give Shay the business card unless she was really sure she could trust Shay. So I think that Shay is an obvious candidate in some ways, but that scene between her and Delphine makes me think, well, I don't know that Delphine would do that if she, unless she was really sure about Shay. Right. Because, again, she didn't really look that surprised when she saw whoever it was. And mm-hmm. I feel like she would have at least looked betrayed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I feel like there would have been more sense of betrayal had it been Shay. Right. And uh, her, and I think I have a lot of questions around her question, what will happen to her? Presumably she's talking about Kasima, but what if she's not? And who exactly would she ask that question of that would have some sort of direct way of affecting Kasima's fate, which is why Scott, I can't completely rule out as a possibility. I don't think it's likely, but Scott is at least has a relationship with Kasima and has some involvement in like her treatment and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Tom also mentions Ferdinand or Marion Bowles or Mrs. S in the scenario that like, maybe this is a setup because Delphine did know that she was going to be killed. And so she set her own plan in motion. He says, have someone, an ally, shoot her that would look fatal, but allow her to disappear and try to work behind the scenes. And Tom also admits that that's probably a stretch. I don't know if it's that much of a stretch, though. She's been very closed off from the rest of the gang this season. Mm -hmm. And who knows what all she's been up to in her position at Topside. And there's the whole factor of... It was it was a stomach shot. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Which is not necessarily fatal. Mm-hmm. I think it's actually like the slowest way to kill somebody. Yes. Yeah. Because it seemed like she was maybe not expecting to actually be shot. It could be that if she did set this plan in motion to fake her own death. But, you know, you get shot. You're going to have a reaction. <laughs> I would think so. Yeah. But it could I, be. It's never happened to me. I don't know. Right. But. Right. But if you're going to fake your own death, it would be easier to go ahead and, like, shoot yourself, because then you have a convincing, you know, gun spatter thing going on on the crime scene. And if she had been collecting pints of her own blood, she could have enough blood be on the ground so that... Because if if a person loses a certain amount of blood, I want to say it's something like a couple liters, then there's, like, no way they can be dead. So if they find X amount of blood at a scene, they're like, okay, this person is dead. But if you know ahead of time and you can collect it, you can, like, fake, a cry, uh, fake your death. So I know I sound crazy, but... No, I've, I've seen those episodes of all the crime shows, too. Right. Well, and, and I know it sounds crazy that, that I'm considering this as a legitimate possibility, but some pretty fantastic things happen on this show. A worm came out of a dude's mouth. <laughs> I hate mouthworms. They're terrible. They're terrible. So I'm I'm actually kind of in the maybe Delphine set it up camp because he, she just seems so calm and accepting of that. What's well, so interesting because they they sort of echo the opening sequence with Beth where she calmly sets down her purse as if she knows what's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. That struck me too. The purse setting down scene reminding me of Beth, and which makes me makes me wonder if it's a hint that perhaps. Whoever shot Delphine might have been involved in why Beth killed herself. It's a long stretch, I know. It could just be that they are echoing that moment in the show just to do so. It doesn't necessarily have to be a clue as to the situation, but that did cross my mind. Right. They could just be visually bookending 
if you will. And then finally, Tom suggested Mark saying it was doubtful, but the she that Delphine talks about could maybe mean Gracie instead of Cosima. But he thinks if it was Mark, that it, it could be kind of similar to Fer the Ferdinand Marion Bowles, Mrs. S theory that he was helping her fake her own death. Interesting possibilities. I do appreciate that, that you're bringing up the whole, maybe her wasn't Cosima, because I think most of us assumed it was. Since that, I think because everything Delphine did after finding out, or after Neelan tells her, you won't live to see morning, I think everything after that has been about Cosima, at least everything that we saw. So, so our minds all went there. But I also want to throw this out as a possibility. Okay. Because we didn't see who it is, and I think, you know, being television fans, we're all prone to think, well, clearly it's some big reveal of somebody we we know and trusted or something like this, right? Right. But it could be that it's somebody we don't even know. It could be. It could also be because we don't see their face. It could be another Tatiana Maslany. Ooh, that's true. Who we don't know yet. Yes. Though someone did float the possibility that maybe Crystal shot her. <laughs> <laughs> I believe that was Allison on Twitter, yes. But yeah, the the fact that Delphine was gone for the first half of the season, more or less, you know, maybe it's somebody she met over in Europe who was with Topside and Topside sent them. I mean, I don't know. So many possibilities, which I think is also probably why they didn't show whoever it was. Mm -hmm. It's like, hmm, let's let's ponder this during the hiatus and we'll get back to you. <laughs> Well, and it could be that the writers don't know. <laughs> That's what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> they wrote it not knowing and thought, hmm, let's let's think it over for a while. Yeah. Didn't Graham or somebody made some comment about how there was a thing going on in the writer's room that was like, what's the absolute stupidest thing we could do and then figure out how to get out of it? <laughs> hmm. Didn't he say that was a the thing they were doing? I don't recall, but uh, you read more interviews than I do. Okay. That's fair. But in regards to... Delphine being shot and whether she's dead or not. I just, I, I'm going with Francie here. Francie sent us an email and Francie said, until I've seen her body with open and empty staring eyes, I won't believe Graham and John that she is dead. Even if they confirm it in every single interview they give during the hiatus, they lied about Helena after season one. They kept Tony a secret. And did anyone know Patrick J. Adams would be back? I was totally surprised and so happy for Helena. Good points. Very good points. Thinking about it, when they've killed somebody on this show, there has been no question that the person was dead. Like when Helena gets shot at the end of season one, yeah, we see her kind of bleeding on the floor. But it again, it was a it was a abdomen wound. It was a stomach wound. It was not. It was like, a shoulder wound. A shoulder wound. Okay, sorry, mm -hmm. you're right. It was a shoulder wound. It was not a shot or to like the, a chest wound. It was not a shot to the head when Leaky died. Shot to the head. Brain exploded. They're dragging his body around the next episode. Like there was no question. He wasn't, he wasn't dead. You know, what do they do with Mark? We have this scene where we see Gracie's mother confronting him in a cornfield, and she's super close to him. There's no way, you know, it, you're like, there's no way she could miss that shot. But he didn't die. He's still alive. Because he got shot in the stomach. <laughs> Who was else? it the stomach or what news? The leg, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was. Um, I think it was the leg. He got shot a couple times, I think. But one of them, at least, was the leg. I think he got shot both in the in the abdomen and in the leg. Okay. Still, non-fatal. Mm -hmm. But like Daniel, gripping his throat, falls to the floor. <laughs> so I feel like on the show when they've killed people, they've made it very clear that they're dead. And I'm not saying that they won't come back next season and show Delphine's dead body, but since we don't have her dead body yet, I am not in any way convinced that she's dead. I'm I'm doing this very weird thing right now. I'm so unusually zen about this, but I've got one foot in denial and one foot in acceptance. And I'm kind of like, I'm good here. <laughs> because I can see it going either way. And I'm kind of, I'm making my peace with it. Mm -hmm. I just, I don't even know why, but I just, I, I feel kind of okay with it for the moment. <laughs> I mean, I'd be I'd be very sad if Delphine oh, was me not too. on the show Don't... anymore. I I love Delphine. I love Evelyn. She's great, but and and I do know there's a distinct possibility she might not be back. She was shooting X Company this season, which yeah, I think I think filming overlapped. They were still finishing X Company when Orphan Black started up. So yeah, 
and and X Company was renewed for a second season. True. You know, I I didn't really get the sense from from Evelyn that she was like necessarily itching to leave Orphan Black, but it could be she got a really great opportunity that she couldn't pass up and she, you know, made her shooting schedule difficult. It could just be a way to keep her role more minimized in season four because she's shooting X Company. I have no idea, but it is, I mean, I'm keeping the possibility that Delphine might be dead as as a distinct possibility. I'm not discounting it, but I'm in no way convinced. Mm-hmm. Right. I think that might be part of why the writers did this too. I know a lot of people are really upset about all of this, but I think it is, as we were sort of just discussing, I think they're leaving their options open this way so they can sort out schedules and, you know, make their decisions and, and all this. And I, I'd rather have them say, Oh, she's dead and then have her show up than have them all summer be like, I don't know, maybe she's not. And then, have it end up that she was dead, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather have lowered expectations and then be surprised rather than have high expectations and then be surprised in the bad way. But the death threat comes from Dr. Nealon, who gives her this one time opportunity from the Neolutionists to join them. And when she decidedly says no, he tells her that she'll be dead within 24 hours. And because of that, she seems to then try to tie up loose ends. Yes, very true. Like we see her go to Shay and we see her go essentially say goodbye to Cosima without actually saying goodbye. Even though it very much felt like a goodbye. Mm-hmm. But I wonder, though, why, again, her calmness about the whole thing, though, it struck me as odd because she's not without resources. It, well, would she not try to escape, get away the way that Leaky did? You know, when Rachel tells him, don't go to your car, don't go home, you might have a chance. But she doesn't know any of that happened. She thought that Dyad, Topside, whoever killed Leaky. Well, no, but, I, but what I'm saying is, like, it struck me as weird that she wouldn't have taken any type of evasive maneuvers. I know she doesn't know that about Leaky. That's just my example. Like, why did she not follow something similar? Like, oh, they're going to be looking for me. I should avoid X and X and, you know, get on a plane to not Germany because everybody keeps trying to send her to Germany. (laughs) (laughs) Also, why did she go into a parking garage? Never go into a parking garage if your life is in danger on a TV show. Well, because that was the other question I had a thing I had a question about. Did, was she walking from her car to the building or it looked almost like she was maybe going to get into the white sedan that she ended up stopping next to? Yeah, I don't know. I wondered about that, too. So that, may, that makes me wonder if the saying goodbyes weren't, ne- weren't necessarily because she thought she was going to die, but because she was trying to leave, which is what is fueling the maybe she's faking her death thing theory in my head. Yeah. Again, things go a lot of different ways, which is why I'm... In my weird Zen limbo. Yeah. Zen limbo, new band name. But John and Graham are big old liars. They've lied about other things in the past, or maybe just changed their mind. I don't know. But, you know, like last, <laughs> at the end of season two, they were saying, oh, Mark doesn't know who he, that he's a clone. Mark totally knew he was a clone. So, you know, I'm not saying that everything that comes out of their mouth is a lie, but you don't know what's a lie and what's true. <laughs> <laughs> that is correct. Yes. Because, yeah, I think that was right after the season ended. So maybe they did decide to change their minds on that one. The Helena thing, they were saying that she was definitely dead right before season two started. So that was just them lying. So, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Everything with, with like, a whole heaping bowl of salt. Yeah. And they made Tatiana lie about Helena, too. So there's that. (laughs) Right. It's not just them. They make everybody lie. Trust no one. Again, it's possible. I mean, maybe Evelyn will start giving interviews about, oh, I loved my time on Orphan Black, but I had this incredible opportunity, in which case I'd probably lean more to the, well, damn, she's dead. But I would still want to see it before I fully accepted it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we watch TV and we're just too stubborn to, yeah. Oh, dear. So we have another voicemail, mostly just about Delphine. From Tara. Hi, Chris and Stephanie. This is Tara. I'm leaving a voicemail for the season three finale. Um, I don't really know where to begin other than maybe my 
Dell feelings. I have a lot of Dell feelings. Um, uh, I think like a lot of other caffeine shippers, I have been left absolutely devastated from what happened. Um, I really, really hope that Delphine is alive, but knowing how busy Evelyn's schedule is, I'm not 100% convinced and I would like to feel otherwise. I do feel like her getting shot is unnecessary for the the story to evolve. It feels like a a bit of a cop-out and a poor plot device. Also, uh, Delphine seemingly giving her blessings to Shay to be with Kasima. It really feels like we're having that relationship pushed into our faces a little bit, a bit of overkill. Um, so that just felt like a bit of a slap in the face as well. Uh, I enjoyed the season overall. I loved Delphine's arc. And so, yeah, that's why it's a bit disappointing that uh, her character has ended up where she has at the end of season three. Um, yeah, so hopefully we'll see her back at season four and I will, yeah, keep listening to your podcast. I really enjoy it. Thanks. So thanks for sending that in, Tara. I don't know that I think it's a lazy plot device. I'll have to see where it goes. Yeah, because we don't know what's going to happen next. So too soon to say. I mean, it is a very and not uncommon way to create some a cliffhanger for the end of the season to shoot somebody and not really show them die or who shot them. But I don't feel comfortable calling it lazy until I see how the whole thing plays out. Yeah. And I don't know that I, I personally didn't think it was shoving the Kasima and Shay relationship in the viewers' faces, but but I also have no objections to that relationship, so For me the scene between Delphine and Shay, it really how do how do I say this? Delphine has been so hard this season, so icy. Mm-hmm. And this last episode I felt really softened her in a lot of ways. And especially what what after what we saw that confrontation between her and Shay in the previous episode, Delphine was getting to the point where it's like, oh no, is she going to go to a place that she can't come back from? So for me, the Delphine Shay scene was more about seeing that Delphine had not gone off the deep end as far as doing things that she shouldn't be doing. Yeah, I concur. I think it is more sort of a this is reinforcing the fact that Delphine is actually not a bad guy mm-hmm. <laughs> and does care about Kasima enough that like, if I can't be here, I want you to go on and be happy and all this sort of thing is sort of how it read to me. And yeah, because things went way too far last episode. Way too far. And I, you know, we had that moment of Delphine getting the call from Kasima and, and having that look on her face that read as, oh no, I've gone too far. <laughs> or at least it did to me. Anyway. But I also, in, in the exchange between Delphine and Shay, when she tells Shay to, you know, go to Kazima and give her this card and tell her that I told you it's, it's okay to tell you everything. And then she adds, if she wants to, it's her decision. And I am so glad, like, I'm so overwhelmed with weird feeling (laughs) about the fact that Delphine used the phrase, it's her decision. Just me? No, no, I I agree. Because this is, this is like the one big issue that I think you and I especially have had with the Kofine relationship. Well, I think this has been the big issue in the Kofine relationship. The fact that yes, many times over, Delphine has made a, a decision essentially for Kasima. And to hear her say, it's her decision, I think is important. Yes. Okay, I'll get into more. I'll get into more about that when we talk about the season as a whole. But I, I agree. I It was great to hear. And it makes me think like, oh, if slash when Kasima and Delphine get back together, it feels like they could finally kind of have a relationship where they were both equal decision makers in it. Because again, it's been a big issue. So we also get the scene of Kasima apologizing to Delphine, which I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like Kasima is way more understanding than I am, just because I don't know at that point that I'd be able to 
say to Delphine after learning what she threatened to do to Shay last episode, I, I don't know that I would be able to say, like, I completely understood why you did what you did, because I still don't quite understand why Delphine did that. However, I feel like it's so very Kasima to be that compassionate. Mm-hmm. Because even if you just look in this episode and how we see her relating to, to Kendall. Right. Kasima just, she has a really big heart. And I think she does tend to want to believe the best of people. Right. Sort of like welcoming Helena with open arms at the end of season two. Right. Yeah. And and being, I, I know a lot of people thought she was being naive in regards to Shay and not being immediately suspicious of her because of everything surrounded Lita. I, I do feel like Kasima wants to believe the best in people and she has a lot of compassion. So on the one hand, like, I thought it, it rang true to me that Kasima would say it. And it was nice to see her apologize for being a bit of a brat at times. I mean, honestly, she was. She was being petulant and bratty a bit about the breakup mm-hmm. throughout the season. So it, it was it, it was a really lovely moment between the two of them. But at the same time, I, I guess here's what bothered me. It felt like Kasima was taking responsibility for everything that Delphine did. Yeah. And I don't know that that's fair. Yeah, I think that is what it is. Because... I guess the way I'm kind of reading it, too, in terms of the way Delphine treated Shay last episode, because, yeah, that's like a big thing to get over. But I think when Cosima heard it from Shay, because, I mean, Cosima was clearly shocked that, that Delphine did that. Uh-huh. So I'm thinking, in Cosima's mind, it's like, you know, I know Delphine, I know she would never do something like that under regular circumstances, so... I think that's maybe why the rest of that exchange followed with the, I'm sorry that I made you make these decisions. I mean, I think that's what prompted that comment. Yeah, I I feel like I'm a little split in two in that moment because I can understand it from Kasima's perspective. From Kasima's perspective, she sees how what Delphine did was in reaction to her making Delphine promise to love all the Lita clones. So I think she can see... She's conceptualizing what happened in, in that context. But me as a as a viewer, I guess, I feel like I don't really understand why Delphine felt like she had to do all of the things that she did. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So that's probably where I'm getting hung up because me watching, I'm like, I don't, why do you feel like you need to be this cold, be this hard, be this tough, Delphine? I just, I felt really disconnected from Delphine this season. Mm-hmm. Until this episode. Until this episode. Yeah. Because it was also really great to see her cooperating with Sarah to help put the the plan in motion to, you know, catch Virginia Cody and keep Kendall safe. And when she learned from Dr. Nealon the information that he received, she immediately called Sarah. Like, it was great to see her back with the clones and and collaborating with them and, and working together. Right. She was much more of a driving force within the Lita plan Really, even just the events of the episode, I think more than we've seen possibly ever. I was going to say this episode, but I think ever, which I think is sort of the payoff for the whole, you know, Delphine has some power now. Because before it's just been terrifying and, and fraught with all the stuff going on. But like, finally, it's what we, I think, had hoped would happen. <laughs> so there was some really great Delphine stuff in this episode. I thought Evelyn Brochu was really great. She is. She's always great, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there was, I think, more more to work with this episode. Oh, and then the whole scene between her and Crystal and realizing that Rachel wasn't Rachel. Yes. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Thank goodness. And I'm very curious to see what happened in regards to that. What did she tell Crystal? Did she take Crystal somewhere safe? I hope we get a little more information about what happened to Crystal ultimately. Yeah, I I like to think, and this is what I'm just going to tell myself all hiatus. I'm thinking that Delphine has put Crystal somewhere safe. So where that is, I have no idea. But time will tell. Anything else, Delphine? Or shall we move on to Rachel? I feel like I'm being, I'm sounding perhaps a little cold on Delphine. And and I regret that. I, I, I have a lot of like warmth and affection for Delphine. But a lot of this season, I've just kind of felt like, what is happening? So, yeah, I'm rooting really hard for her to come back because I, I want to 
I want to get a better understanding for Delphine again and feel like I, I understand why she was doing the things that she was doing. That's fair. Again, I'm, I've, I've made my peace with things, I think. So either way it goes, I, at least as it stands now, I'm, I'm okay. Which I worry is making me also sound cold, but I, cause I do, I do love Delphine, but yeah, I, I don't know. It has been harder to love her this season. Moving on to Rachel. This episode revealed that Rachel was, in fact, betrayed by Dr. Nealon. I guess the deal was to get her out of Dyad into a doctor who could fix her eye, but was not expecting to be put in the hands of the Neolutionists. Which, I don't know, did we see that coming? No, I honestly thought that when we saw that phone call between Dr. Nealon and apparently Susan Duncan, that was part of Rachel's plan. Uh, I wasn't totally sure it was. I was on the fence about it. Because even when I thought it was Dr. Cody, I thought it was Rachel had like made a deal with Project Caster. It, it, the idea that Dr. Nealon had betrayed her didn't really register for me. Mm-hmm. But yeah, can, can I just have a gloatment here? Like, I called it. It was Susan Duncan. You called it. Good for you. Thank you. But again, perhaps more evidence that Delphine is alive, because who was supposed to be dead? Rachel's parents. Neither of them were dead. Yep. Which raises a lot of questions for me. Because did Ethan Duncan know that Susan was alive? I know he has that line where he so. says, Aldous Leakey killed my Susan. Was he being metaphorical? Or did he really think she was dead? I'm not sure now. Because we did find out this episode, too, that he seemed to know that Leaky and his neolutionism had corrupted Susan. Exactly. So, yeah, now I'm not sure. It also makes me wonder if Leaky knew that Susan Duncan was alive, because if she's a neolutionist now, he was a neolutionist. Yeah. And Rachel pretty much sent him to his death after she heard that Leaky had killed her mother. So did he know that that was actually not the case? Did Ethan Duncan manipulate Rachel into killing Leaky for him? But she did give him a head start. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. But at the very least, Ethan got succeeded in unseating him from his position in Dyad. But this reveal just, it raised a, a lot of questions for me. As it was probably supposed to. Yeah. And then why is Charlotte with Susan Duncan? That is a very good question. I am concerned about Marion Bulls. Because that doesn't bode well for Marion Bowles. Either something happened to her, or she was not somebody they should have trusted to begin with, and she was actually one of the Neolutionists in Topside. Hmm. That possibility, however, doesn't seem particularly likely to me, because then I would question as to why she needed information from Paul about Project Caster. Yeah, that kind of doesn't make as much sense. Plus, I would think maybe the Neolutionists would have... I mean, I, I got the impression this could, I mean, this is just me speculating, but it seemed like they had somehow maybe done away with Marion Bowles, and that's why Charlotte needs a new mother. I think that's the, that is a distinct possibility of, for sure. But yeah, but then after that, I got a bunch of people like, do, do we think Marion Bowles is the one who shot Delphine? I don't know. I don't know. Had never crossed my mind, but anyway. So speaking of Neolutionists, Rachel now has a bionic eye, and it's like a freaky-leaky eye. I find it interesting that the Neolutionists are supposed to be about self-directed evolution, but Rachel did not seem to elect to have that bionic eye. Yeah. They did mention a prosthetic eye, but yeah, I don't know that that's really what she had in mind. Because, well, I think Neelan said a perfectly matched prosthetic eye. He did. Which it is not. And since she seemed very surprised to wake up where she was, I, I don't think she was expecting a bionic eye. Right. Did you notice all the hints in, in her surroundings about where she was and who she was with? I, not really. I remember the finches and things like that. And her father had birds, but no, I did not get all the hints. Okay, because there was that sort of glass wall, I guess, behind the headboard of the bed that had little symbols etched into it. And they were similar symbols to Duncan's code that was in Island of Dr. Moreau. Right. And then, yeah, the finches. 
were the things I noticed. So when the reveal happened, I was like, I knew it. <laughs> Francie, our, the listener who is from Germany that we mentioned in the last episode, Francie was relieved to hear that Rachel is actually in Austria, not in Germany. I was going to say something about, of course, we just know that her flight went to Austria. We don't know where she is now, necessarily. <laughs> Fair. She did disappear after her flight to Austria. I'm just saying. But they do speak they do speak German in Austria, so it's still perfectly conceivable that she's she's still in that country. Well, that's where she had her surgery, but is that where she is now? Oh. <laughs> I know I'm making it worse. I'm sorry. So Sally also mentioned in her voicemail that Charlotte is now in the position Rachel was when her parents supposedly died. Right, being presented to the Charlotte seemed way too calm about all that. Was that weird to you? Yes. It was, but then it's like, I don't know what all Charlotte has seen in her short life, and it makes me sad. Because apparently she grew, I mean, I would assume she sort of grew up around topside stuff since she was with Marion, but yeah, I don't know. It was weird. It was weird. But yeah, she was all, she said, you're my new mother now, and like it was no big deal. Odd. Very odd. I was really pleased about the plot that Sarah... And who all was involved? Sarah and Scott and Mark and Felix and Mrs. S. And Art. I was really happy that that it went as well as it did. And that they finally seemed to be a couple steps ahead of Topside and Caster for once. Thank goodness. Yeah, that was a great sequence, I thought. Where they put their plan into motion. And Rudy was following just like they thought he would. And yeah. But man, Mrs. S, how many times can you threaten your mother? Yeah, she's not happy with her mother. But they seem to kind of mend fences once Kendall revealed how Sarah came to be with Mrs. S. So hopefully, though I, I did appreciate that she was still crabby and not particularly pleasant at the very end on the coming off of the little, what are those things called? Those little snowmobile type thingies? Mm, mm-hmm. She was still grumpy, appropriately grumpy. <laughs> but she did crack a smile. She did. Because, like, oh, Kira. Mm-hmm. How can you not smile at Kira? Kira's adorable. I have no idea. She is. But it was also great. They explained why Kendall does not look like either Sarah or or any of the Lita or Castor clones. Yes, they did a, they did a good job answering questions that we had in the last episode. Including And doing it quickly and yeah, sorry. Including my puzzlement is like, isn't it convenient that the leader caster original happened to be Mrs. S's mother? I'm still not hundred percent okay with it. I, I wish they had been able to come at it a different direction that it didn't seem quite so like isn't it convenient? But the writers had to make the choices that they made. I can I can deal with it and move on. I thought it was kind of awesome and spoke to the themes of the show. So there you go. So we also got <laughs> this weird turn at the end where Ferdinand apparently becomes their ally. But is he? I'm not sure. I I think I feel safe in, in thinking that his bodyguard was actually a neolutionist. Yeah, he looked pretty nervous when Ferdinand started ranting about neolutionists. But I'm not 100% convinced that Ferdinand himself might not also be a neolutionist and did what he did in order to preserve Sarah's trust in him or to like foster Sarah's trust in him for some nefarious reason. I don't know. I'm probably being overly cautious, but I think at, at best he's an untrustworthy ally at this point. I'd say the untrustworthy ally would be fair. I don't see any reason to necessarily think that he's lying about his hatred for neolutionists, but, you know, it's Orphan Black, you never know. I'm open to that possibility. But I also don't distrust what happened in this episode. I was not expecting them to pull Mark into that into that plot in order to, you know, get Dr. Cody and, or and organize things like that. And we, we got to... <laughs> And it involved Ari Millen doing his first and possibly his last clone pretending to be another clone moment. Clone swap. Clone swap moment. 
which I, I thought Mark did a pretty good job pretending to be Rudy. He did. I liked that they went to the trouble of, like, bloodying up half of his face to hide the fact that he doesn't have a scar. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I thought it was good. It was good. I liked that. It's like, here are the tricks that we've used that work. Let's recruit Mark and have him help us. I also kind of liked that they went and found Mark and Gracie and, you know, Felix breaking down the door, and which was great. Yes. But the fact that Mark and Gracie were just sort of hiding out because apparently they're concerned about how much time Mark has left. We actually got an email from Celestine wondering about Mark's lack of symptoms from the prion disease, you know, why he seems to be more resilient, and asking if he's perhaps the youngest, and that's why he hasn't shown symptoms. My impression of the prion disease is that you're asymptomatic until you're not. Right. I mean, Rudy first showed symptoms, I think, earlier this week. Mm-hmm. He, and he mentioned when he came back into Dr. Cody's office that he saw Seth go from, like, phase whatever to phase whatever in the span of a sh- very short period of time. So from what we saw this season, it seemed like the disease, you, you are pretty much asymptomatic until you aren't, and then it can progress very quickly. Right. And I mean, from what we've seen of the, the Lita clone disease, it's sort of similar in that, you know, even though Allison is also affected by the thing that has caused Kazima to get sick, Allison hasn't shown any, shown any signs of getting sick yet. So, yeah, I don't know that it's necessarily, like, I don't know if it's necessarily inevitable. Do we think it's inevitable? I'm, I am not sure. I'm not sure if it's inevitable. I, I think he was reasonable in thinking he might not have much time left, given that mm-hmm. all the other caster clones that we've met, they are all dead now. Right. I mean, I guess the soldier guy didn't die from the prion disease, but... Right. Miller. The, the rest did. Yep. I guess that's what I'm saying, is like, I don't know what to think. Because it could be that, you know, it's only a matter of time. But I guess we'll see. So we think he's probably going to be back in season four, or no? I think so. I think he will. I think the door is wide open for it. Especially Mm -hmm. since he's helped the Lita clones now, so. Yes, he has become a reluctant ally to them. But whether he will continue to be so, I don't know. Good point. We also got some information that apparently, I mean, it sounded like the the Langley guy, whose name I can't remember, who was Paul's contact at Langley. Mm -hmm. Because we saw him earlier in this episode, he basically dismissed Rudy, it sounded like. Yeah, he basically wrote him off. It's like, oh, he's a goner. Thank you for your service. I I almost felt kind of bad for Rudy in that moment. I almost felt a little bad for Rudy when he was dying. That too. When he was talking about lying in a room with all of his brothers and them breathing in unison. I felt felt a little pang of of compassion for Rudy. But then I was like, this is Rudy. Tamp it down. So basically, you you were kind of on the same level as Helena. Yes. Compassionate, but aware that... He's terrible and a rapist. Yes. And I just, again, we talked about how amazing we thought that scene was in our short episode, and I still think it's an amazing scene, though apparently Chris's dad was underwhelmed. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. He might have slept through part of it. I'm not sure. I'm not (laughs) sure what happened. But it ended, and my dad just goes, ew. And I was like, really? (laughs) But I think he was probably still stunned from the screwdriver through the bicep. That's true. Your dad is a little squeamish. He is. It it was so funny to me because both times watching it with him and watching it with with you and your partner, I think I was the only one who did not react at all. <laughs> Everybody else is like, "Oh." And I'm just kind of like, "Yeah." <laughs> I didn't look away, but I it it did get a reaction out of me. I was just kind of like, "She said she was going to do it." <laughs> I know. I know, but that I still didn't prepare me for it. Okay. Fair enough. But we got a comment from Erin about Helena killing Rudy, and she said, I'm 50-50 about Helena killing Rudy. I understand she's probably one of the only ones who honestly could, but it felt kind of emotionally flat because it wasn't Sarah who he tormented using Kira or his victim. I think she means Patty. Yes. From episode 302. Yeah. I get what you're saying, but at the same time, I feel like it would have meant something different if it had been Sarah or Patty. Do you know what I mean? Because Helena is sort of inherently 
somebody who assassinates people. This sounds really weird. And (sighs) to me, after it happened, my immediate reaction was, look, again, it's Helena who's standing up for women. She's this person who is like a defender of women. And it felt completely within how we've seen her character evolve from season one to season to now to season three. Because, you know, look back at season two, what she did to the poor Prolethean guy whose name I'm blanking on, Henrik Johansson. Like, it, it felt it felt right to me that she was the one who did it. Yeah. Like, it, I would have been fine if, if Patty had done it, but I don't think she could have done it in that way, in that we're going to fight to the death type of way. And and really, Kalina didn't kill Rudy. It was the disease that finally took him out. Mm-hmm. She just fought him. Right. Yeah, I feel very strongly that Helena has turned from angry angel to avenging angel. Yeah. And I like it. But yeah, that was that was just such an insane sequence with the uh duct taping the weapons to her hands and declaring that they were fighting by prison rules. Why does Helena know about prison rule fighting? I have questions now. We also got some comments about Helena killing Rudy from Tara. I loved pretty much everything that Helena did. That scene with Rudy was really beautiful. I I think the predictable thing would have been for them to have a a full-on brawl, and they didn't go down that path. So I I enjoyed that aspect that, you know, they just shared their miserable childhoods with each other, and in the end, Helena sort of laid it out as it really was that Rudy was a rapist. Thanks for sending that in, Tara. I... I agree. I like the way they did that scene because it does, like, especially at the beginning, Helena's taping her hands. You feel like it's going to be some sort of huge knockdown drag out fight, but they went sort of oddly subdued, even with the screwdriver through the bicep. And I like that she, she stops fighting him when she realizes he's no longer a threat to her. Yes. She doesn't just take him out to take him out. She lies with him until he dies. And it reminded me of the way that Rudy stayed with Seth until he died. Yeah, you're right. Except Rudy actually did shoot Seth in the chest. Well, right. He was responsible for his death, but he still, he did, it was an act of mercy. He didn't kill him True. out of an act of vengeance. And he stayed with him until he died and was kind to him until he died. Yes. I did like that, the, the, that Helena was being sort of compassionate, but still matter of fact with Rudy. Yes. It's like, I, I am here for you because you're dying, but you're still a bad person. I, I do not forgive you for what you did because, just because you were dying. Right, because Rudy tries to make them, Rudy tries to put them on the same level, but, but Helena's sort of like, we are similar, but we're not the same. Right. Which I also liked. I feel it's very going with the theme of the show. In what regard? Expand on that. Oh, we're we're similar but not the same. This whole clone oh, okay. idea of right. you know identity and what that means and right. sorting all that out. We may be made from the same stuff, but we're not the same people. You know, it was so heartwarming to see Helena be reunited with Jesse. Though I guess I'll first say I was. <laughs> it was so cute seeing Donnie like lead Helena into the garage. I love Helena and Donnie as buddies. It's so sweet. I like that they're sort of supportive of each other, and it's just, it's nice. It didn't really occur to me that they would relate to each other well, but now that I see them side by side, it makes sense to me. It does, like in a weird kind of way. It's like, you can kind of see, I I don't know that a whole lot of people necessarily get them. (laughs) So it is kind of nice that they kind of get each other. Speaking of, Jesse is weirdly cool about Helena and all her crazy stories and her science baby. The thing that struck me this time about Helena's crazy stories is last time she was lying a lot. She was borrowing information to tidbits from all the different clones' lives and telling Jesse that it was her life. This time, she's telling him the truth. <laughs> and, it's, yep. and it sounds even wilder than it did last time. <laughs> a prison break and... I threw my sister, and and Mrs. S is my new mother, and <laughs> now I live here and make soap and teach karate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And that's all true. <laughs> it is. And then I love that Jesse's response is, boy, you sure do live large. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which then reminded me of, of you saying something about uh, Helena does live a little louder than Sarah does. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> because that still makes me laugh, too. <laughs> but I'm glad that things seem to work out okay between Helena and Jesse, because when he showed up again, I, I was worried. I was worried that when... Because Jesse has been this fairy tale that Helena has had, this idea of my boyfriend, Jesse, we're going to have many babies and drive tow trucks. And what if when confronted with her again and he sees more of Helena's strangeness, he suddenly doesn't, he's not into her anymore. You know, I was just worried that Helena might have her little heart crushed, but he seems to be into her. Which almost makes you wonder a little bit about Jesse. <laughs> just like, you know, okay, <laughs> he's just kind of going with whatever she tells him. Yeah, I mean, it's it's very sweet, don't get me wrong, but I think I just have more questions, you know? <laughs> right, right. Because Jesse's just going along with whatever she says. Uh, but they get interrupted, because it turns out Helena has a clone phone now. Was that the first, that was the first we saw of her, her clone phone, right? She didn't have it last episode? Right, she pulls it out and she says, my brother Sestra gave me a new phone. And even though I know that Helena had a phone previously, it's still weird seeing her use modern devices. There's just something very otherworldly about Helena when I see her interacting with things I, I interact with. And it's just like <laughs> weird. <laughs> uh, and Donnie nicknamed her Monster, apparently. Aww. Did you catch that? I did. Yeah. And also Helena Bakes. Helena Bakes. She baked the cake that Cosima gave her in her dream at the beginning of the season. Bobka cake. Mm -hmm. Which is not a meat cake. No. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could say no the exact way Helena said it because it was so, like, it it cracks me up, Helena saying no. <laughs> I know. It was just one word, but it was hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> Proving once again that Tatiana Maslany is magic. <laughs> We didn't get much from Allison in this episode. She facilitated the lovely family dinner scene at the very end, but you know, she was she was pretty absent this this episode. Yeah, she was. It was sort of just uh she was the bait. That's the word I'm looking for. Yeah, I thought maybe she might get more pulled into the storyline when we saw that Rudy was following her. I thought maybe they would end up having a conversation between her and Rudy, but obviously it didn't go that way. It made me really happy to hear Sarah like, oh, yeah, Donnie called and yep, Rudy's following, following Allison. And that made me really excited. I, I don't know, just like having them having this huge network of people now that they can talk to and get them to help them. It just made me really happy to realize that. Me too. I find it weirdly heartwarming. Which I think was partially what the family dinner scene was about, because we have Art saying that too, like you know, I'll, I'll do it, I'll do anything to help the sisters, or I'm, you know, I'm willing to help the sisters. I think it's I do what I can to help the sisters. There we go, because like last season, it ended in that great dance scene with just the sisters and Felix and and Kira, which was lovely and fantastic and uplifting. But I think this family dinner scene it emphasized how big their group has become. Yeah, it was really nice. Cal wasn't there, though. It would have been nice if Cal and Kira could have been there. But at least Sarah acknowledged that there were people who weren't there. Yes, I agree. And you notice that Cosima, the way she was talking to Delphine, apparently Delphine had been invited to yes. the group dinner. Yes. So yeah, it is nice that everybody got invited. Scott was there. I was really excited about Scott being there. Me too. He was still trying to explain the chimeras thing. <laughs> <laughs> and Felix was so bored. <laughs> want those two to be friends. <laughs> uh, unlikely friendship. Mm -hmm. It would be like a puppy trying to be friends with a cat. That's a fair comparison. That's a fair comparison. It can happen, but it's difficult. Yes. But we ended also with another mention of Beth. Which I'm glad they threw in there. That was nice. Also, congratulations, Allison, on winning... The board of trustees seat? Yes, good for her. Good for her. I'm glad that she made that happen for herself. By 56 votes. Take that, Marcy Coates. Take that, jerky jerk face. Go sell a house. 
I, I don't know if you noticed this either, but Mrs. S actually says, you know, oh, we're we're so proud of you. Aw. I know. I I think I heard that, but I'd forgotten. But that's so sweet. That's so sweet. It is. It's like, oh, truly, Mrs. S has sort of adopted all of the Lita clones, I feel like. Oh, the other thing that they kind of addressed in this episode, a bunch of people were talking about the relationship between Sarah and Mrs. S, genetically speaking. Mm-hmm. And I was trying, I'm trying to remember what people were saying. They were saying that. I think somebody asked if they were sisters. Yeah. Is that what it was? Somebody asked if they were sisters. Somebody asked if that meant that Sarah was technically Mrs. S's mother. And it's like, no, not genetically speaking, because she, you know, she didn't carry her. But. She'd be Mrs. S's. Aunt. Aunt. Yeah. Yeah. So they had Kasima talking to Kendall and saying, you're like our older sister, so. Genetically speaking, they are like Mrs. S's aunt, but clearly Mrs. S refers to Sarah as her daughter in this episode. Their familial relationship doesn't change regardless of the revelations about their genetic relationship. Exactly. I was actually talking to my dad before. My dad was kind of like, so Kendall is Kira's aunt (laughs) or auntie, I think is actually what he said. Mm -hmm. And, uh, it's like, yes, and also her great-grandmother. Yes. And my dad was kind of like, that's right. <laughs> it was kind of funny. Anyway. But it was wonderful ending the season with Sarah and Kira being reunited. I so missed having Skylar Wexler around this season. I just, I love her. Me too. I am glad that they ended that way. I was, I was relieved that they ended it that way, and also I was crying. Were you crying? Was it just me? I wasn't crying. I wasn't okay. crying. But I was very pleased to to see them reunite and so sweetly. Though we didn't get to see Cal. I want more Cal. <laughs> he was probably busy filming something else. That dude gets a lot of work, I think. He does. He does. But I'm hoping we'll see him again next season. I hope so, too. Because I think Sarah and Cal and Kira make a cute family, and I want them to be happy together. It's a good hair family. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I... Seriously, I rewatched it and again, like, cried tears of joy at the end of the episode. I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It was a very, this was a very uplifting finale. Except for that. Except for Delphine. Like, that, that one thing. <laughs> there was a big, not a lifting piece of it, but we got a lo- several really uplifting scenes in this episode. Yep. Such as Orphan Black. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was nice that they ended it this way rather than on a big cliffhanger where somebody gets kidnapped or we think somebody gets kidnapped or yeah. Yeah. If the Delphine scene had been the last scene, it would have given the episode a completely different. I would have felt very differently at the end of the episode. It was nice feeling uplifted by the Sarah Kira reunion, even though I'm still worried about Delphine and stressed about Delphine. I'm better now, but but you could probably tell on Saturday, I was pretty stressed about Delphine. You were, you were, I believe, as your partner said, you were bereft. <laughs> I was bereft. I was very bereft. There was something I was watching, the behind-the-scenes thing. I want to say it was maybe an After the Black or something. There was something where they were talking about really wanting to end this episode with bringing everybody together. So that was a relief, I think. Especially in contrast to the two prior seasons. More of a sense of uh, safety and, and home we received a few voice messages after we finished recording but before i had finished editing so i wanted to go ahead and include those in this episode so here are voice messages from kathy tess and molly hi guys um this is kathy calling in from the uk first of all i'd like to echo your delphine they couldn't do that i couldn't believe they were doing that to us Delphine's been a fantastic character this year, and I sincerely hope that that she's not dead. But mm. anyway, um, I wanted to comment on when Delphine uh, knew that everything was over for her, the game was up, and what she what she did when she went into question Neelan, um, she was kind of cocky. She was all you know, you're all over for you, and but as soon as he attacked her, and she sort of yelled out for the guards, and there was nobody there. I think she must have known that that was it, that, you know, Dyad and the Neolutionists were going to bump her off. 
Um, and after that, you know, she went to give a kind of give a blessing to Shay and that lovely scene with her and Kasima and such good acting from from Evelyn, I thought. But she was definitely running away, though. She had a car. She was switching cars, although why she went back to the Dyad garage, God knows. And, you know, she was definitely going to make a run for it, wasn't she? Anyway, I really hope she survives. Um, I think she's been a great character this year, and it was a great finale. Thanks. Hey, ladies, this is Tess talking about the Orphan Black season three finale. I really liked this episode. Uh, it made me like the whole season a lot better, because each individual episode I enjoyed, but the way they brought it all together, just I thought it was perfect how they brought everything full circle and completely shocked me while at the same time making me say, duh, shouldn't that have been kind of obvious? I mean, Neo Lucian, at least they, you know, brought that back and they didn't introduce a whole new faction, which I really liked because I didn't think it needed to be more messy with more factions to remember. Um, I liked how the dinner scene at the end, you know, that kind of juxtaposed to the Helena dream sequence in the beginning. I like how Delphine's death kind of looks like Beth's death, which Delphine's death, I don't want Delphine to die because I don't want Ebro to leave the show, but Delphine is a character. Like she had a good arc this season. You know, she said her goodbyes and she finally was ahead of everyone. You know, usually she's the one who's three steps behind. And this time she came out on top until she was shot. And I hope she's not dead, but I don't know. Um, I was expecting someone to die this season and I'm really glad it wasn't Allison or Kasima. Cause I just had this like terrible thought that they were going to shock everyone by killing Allison off. And that's terrible. So. I don't know who shot her, but it has to be someone who she recognizes and someone who would know when she said what will happen to her, that she's talking about Kasima. So I'm like, is Marion Bowles in the picture? Could it be her? I mean, there's Shay, but I don't think it would be Shay. And thank God Scott was at the dinner, so there's no worrying that it's Scott. I have no idea who shot her, though. No ideas. I really liked how they brought Jesse back and how... Fee finally got his little badass moment kicking down the door. And yeah, I just really liked this episode. I love the podcast, so keep up the great work. Bye. Hi, this is Molly, and I'm calling about history yet to be written and this entire season of Orphan Black. Wow, I was holding my child while watching this and started screeching for the Jesse reveal. And I love Donnie for giving that to Helena. I love basically everything about this episode. I think the Jesse part was my favorite. Crystal being okay is wonderful. I like that the scene with Helena and Rudy and Rudy's little death scene, Helena just them bonding over the fact that they are, you know, had such screwed up childhoods. It's so, so sad, but so awesome. And just everything about it was wonderful. Except, of course, for the Neolutionists coming back. What the hell are they going to do? I can't believe this. Why are these stupid Neolutionists? Whatever. And then the last scene, being happy with everything. Uh, so, loving the show. Loving you guys. Loving Drinks of the Doll. Loving everything. My son is sitting here cheering me on as I leave this message. So, keep doing the awesome work. Bye. So, a huge thank you to Kathy, Tess, and Molly for sending those in. I hope we sufficiently answered those questions earlier in this episode. We're, we're glad you liked the podcast. Thank you very much. Also, a big thank you to everybody who's left us ratings or reviews on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcast service you use. Those are very helpful. We, we really appreciate those. You can find out ways to leave reviews or, or help us in other ways by going to tatianaiseveryone.com slash support. We appreciate it. That does it for our thoughts about the finale. Thank you to everybody who sent in feedback. We did get some feedback that we think is actually going to be more applicable to our next episode, in which we're going to discuss season three more as a whole, kind of a follow-up, either things we didn't talk about or things that now have new meaning after the season end or just sort of more general thoughts about season three. And we would we would love for you to send in your feedback for that episode. I did once or twice throughout the season get 
sort of overwhelmed with the feedback. And I apologize to everybody who hasn't gotten a reply or a response on the podcast or in an email. If there are questions you still have, please send those in. We will try very hard to get to everything in the next episode. Really good things to send to us would be the questions that you have lingering after this season. Those are always a good jumping off point for discussion. But if you also just have some general thoughts about, oh, this, I thought this storyline was really interesting, we'd love to hear those as well. And also, obviously, we're not going to be doing two episodes a week anymore, because I am tired. (laughs) I'm so tired, Stephanie. (laughs) But uh, we're actually going to take next week off. And then we'll have the season three wrap up episode. We, We are going to be doing a much reduced schedule. I think we're talking about doing monthly episodes over the hiatus. We started two new podcasts for one for Dark Matter and one for Killjoys, which is the new show from Temple Street, who produces Orphan Black. So if you're watching either of those shows, we've got podcasts for both of those, Dark Matter Pod on Twitter and on Tumblr, and Killjoys Podcast, Tumblr and Twitter. But you can also find both of them at the website for our family of podcasts. We'll call it a family. Our family of podcasts, askgenretv.com. That's A-S-K genretv.com. You can find links to subscribe to the podcasts over on that website. So with the new podcasts, we're, we're just going to be doing one a month for each of those during their hiatuses. Because we're tired. <laughs> yeah. So if you have suggestions for topics for anything you really, really want us to talk about during the hiatus, send those in too. We have a few planned out already. You can send us your thoughts about Season 3 generally, as well as ideas for topics we might cover during the hiatus. You can email us feedback at tatianaiseveryone.com. You can call and leave a message on our listener voicemail line, 972-514-7223. You can record a voice memo on your smartphone and email it to us. You can find us on Twitter at TIE Podcast, and we're also on Facebook. And in this episode, Dutch Tape and Prison Rules were played by Tatiana Maslany. Thanks for listening. 